calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Podiobooks.com, in association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. You have caused me a great deal of distress, Lord of Crisfell. Girin trembled at the power of a voice that wasn't spoken, yet could be heard. A prime weaver stood before him, filled with the words that could condemn him. Its semi-human face twisted to the alpha's tones. In the half-light of the cave, it glowed faintly golden. It was a mistake to listen to you. Your promise promise was was that your people would help us reclaim what is ours. Now they have risen up against you, and worse, they have knowledge of these islands. And this knowledge knowledge may may prove inconvenient to us. us. Tell us what we should do with you, Lord of Crisfell, no longer. A line of sweat broke out on Garen's forehead as his mind raced for ways to salvage something of this mess. It was all Ashimay's fault, he almost said. She got involved and all this happened. With her in front of him, his anger with her had evaporated, but with her escape, it had returned in full measure. He had to find a way out of this, a way that he could still turn to his own advantage. His father had taught him that there was never a situation that could not be moulded to his needs. So it had always been, and even now in the face of defeat he clung to that belief. It was all he had. No No answer? answer. The voice hummed in the air, almost sounding regretful. Indeed, Indeed, there is none, none. only Only service to us. In the end, that is all there is for you. Do not be afraid of it. Welcome it. Embrace it. Come within. Fear turned his belly to ice. Those eyes of gold turned on him until he could feel the malignant intent. His body reacted before his mind could truly encompass the truth. While it still grappled with the reality bearing down on him, his legs were scrambling for purchase on the rock, turning him to flight. The eyes watched him go, with no sign of emotion or anger. The others caught him at the door, hands neither kind nor cruel, guiding him towards the one filled with the Alpha's might. He threw back his head and bellowed, really roared, as if it might be the last action his body would ever perform. Already he could sense its rebellion against him. 
this power was no insidious halfling magic to slowly bend him to its will. This was the almost unparalleled strength of the Alpha. A whole dead ocean away, as it was, it still had the power to bend his body to its will. Garen's back arched in response, twisting and heaving against the Alpha's demands. No flight now, no chance for legs or arms to fight free. Each cell, each microcosm of his being swayed to its urging. And Garen, Lord of Crisfell's last conscious thought, was one of soul-destroying fear before it all exploded into golden light. The two ships battled their way to Skellig. The weather had turned worse, and each mile was a struggle of sail and manpower. As she may stood at the prow with Jerris and Connor, she seemed almost joyous. What will you say, Ash? Jerris pulled back its golden spray-licked hair from its eyes. About what? A huge wave knocked the ship sideways. About the baby you told them you were carrying? Its voice was rough with annoyance and fear. Her eyes were wild and very green, open against the wind, while it teased her hair, smothering it about her. Spitting silvered strands from her mouth, she laughed, leaning into the storm. I will think of something. Jerris, you shouldn't worry. I've always come up with something or other. Don't you know we're protected? What? Jerris said, catching itself against the railing. As she may laughed again, a low rumble that matched the howl of the storm. <laughs> Garin told me about how weavers beneath the waves tore his ship apart from under him. And yet, here we are, she exclaimed, throwing her arms wide and grinning. The mother's hand is upon us. Connor glanced at the waves nervously, as if expecting them to suddenly reveal themselves. I don't understand. Don't you see? Eshimay pulled him close, her green eyes feral. Sweet lady and all near her are protected. We have hope, Connor, hope. Connor and Jerris exchanged puzzled looks. After a moment, both of them realized she would speak of it no more. Jerris jerked its head towards the stern, and the young Sitkan followed it there. Looking back at Ashime's form, bent against the storm, Connor felt the stirrings of unease. The same was reflected in Jerris's amber eyes. What's the matter with her? he asked, hoping it would be able to shed some light on the change that all could see. The question might be, Connor, what's right with her? Something's definitely wrong. On the way here she was so withdrawn, but now... He looked back at the prow, where Ashime's laughter rang out defiantly against the storm. No, she shouldn't be like this, Jerris agreed. But considering what she's been through, perhaps that's her way of dealing with it. Vainly it tried to excuse her. All of the various clans of the outer islands had been reduced to those on the two ships. All that she had grown up with was destroyed. Every building, every town, and most of the faces... And then there was Garin's betrayal. She had told them nothing, only that she had seen him. They could only guess at what she'd left unsaid. Ahead was surely more pain and suffering. The unvoiced thoughts contained the possibility that Morlo's fate would become Crisfell's. News of Mero's death hardly seemed to reach her. Her fragility was palpable. We always have Mutterthale, Connor ventured, grasping for some shred of optimism. 
Jairus's stomach lurched at the very thought. The herb that Nisha had used against it in Skellig, and that Mero had wielded far more benignly, had given them the edge that they needed to rescue Ashume, but it was not an experience it wished to repeat. One small box was all that the clan had. Most had been used to retrieve Ashume, but neither Allegre nor Jerus nor any of the others had ever considered abandoning her. Still in Connor's eyes it saw the need for hope, a way out which would not necessarily end in them all becoming weavers. Little was to be gained in crushing that fragile ember in the young Sitkan. Yes, hope, Jerus whispered, turning away. There is always that. They ran before the storm to Crisfell, pushed faster by some greater force urging them to Skellig. They made at least three days better than when Sweet Lady had been going to Morlow. Sooner than they wished, the coast of Crisfell appeared. Almost immediately, things changed. The dark ship that had been struggling against Jerus's control for days now ceased its efforts. Leaning against the forecastle, Jerris sagged in relief. It was like a strong rope had been cut, and the ship was now merely a ship once more. Much as it was appreciated, there was the concerning question of why. The storm that had been urging them on died down, and the ship's sails lay slack against the masts. Crispell was hung with one of its familiar mists. The clan roused, oars were set out, and they began to pull for the dimly-seen shape of Skellig on the promontory. Ashime took an oar, and pulled more enthusiastically for the castle than any other. Its blurred towels and walls were rendered colourless by the fog, but it burned in her vision. Only trouble of every kind waited for her there, yet she had never felt so excited. Her blood burned, and her pulse raced at the, nearly everything, and had done so since leaving Morlow. Each sensation... The lick of salt wind on her face, even the roll of the ship under her, was like an aphrodisiac. Some part of her mind told her that this was wrong. Soon both ships pulled up at the jetty. Sailors leapt ashore, and with quick, practiced movements secured them to the moorings. So far the pier was empty. The clan crept off the ship, wordlessly handling down their few meagre possessions, and congregating in a large group at the far end of the pier. None seemed eager to move off. Their nightmare had solidified into reality. The mainland was unfamiliar territory to them, a place few had visited, and was usually viewed with a heavy dose of suspicion. Ashume moved to help her grandfather down. He looked like he needed some assistance, but as usual, didn't want to make a fuss. Connor carried the now half-empty case that contained the last of the Matathale. They had just set it down when they were greeted from the mist. The chiefs of Crisfeld had hurried down the stairs and come up on them disguised by the fog. They were a very different bunch than those that had seen them off three weeks earlier. These were grim-faced warriors. No courtiers among them now. The badges of rank and long-flowing life of their tribes were gone too, replaced by dark armour of leather and chain. The only concession to tribal honour was their colours strapped about their scabbards. Damon was in the fore, wearing his usual grim expression, but perhaps two shades heavier than expected. He ran a flinty eye up Ashime and then scanned across to her grandfather, who let go her shoulder and stood erect as befitted the Lord of the Deep. Damon nodded his head marginally more than was usual between chiefs. Among the clans of the outer islands, Lord was known for his strength and wisdom. Chief of the Lystra gave a wry twist of his smile. I can guess, my lady, that things did not go well then. She didn't return his bitter smile. No, as you can well see, these matters are best discussed in private. 
Servants and retainers had followed in the wake of their chiefs, and she instructed them to see to the remains of her clan. Then she and her grandfather led the way back up the stairs to the hidden castle. Well, thank you very much, Connor commented, dropping down onto the top of the chest and glaring in their direction. As she may had spared he and Jerris not a moment's notice, and he was more than a little peeved. That woman had more mood swings than fifty normal females. His moods fluctuated between the desire to throttle her and other desires that she had never returned in kind. Jerris's boot was suddenly applied to his rear. Connor swung around angrily and was immediately burdened with a runny-nosed, dark-eyed child of indeterminate age and sex that clung to his chest, limpet-like. Eh, he complained, trying to free the creature's arms from about him so he could breathe. Eh, I'm not very good with children. That's not what I've seen. Jerris was already swinging a heavy box upon its back. And besides, you can't expect her to walk all the way up those stairs. My suggestion is that you stop whining and start helping. The child, now revealed as a girl, had a very firm grip on Connor's braids and was trying to discover if they were detachable. He got the message. The sooner he got to the castle, the sooner he could take charge of a less troublesome package. The clanspeople laughed at his discomfort, practically the first sound they'd made. Connor was usually averse to being made at the butt of a joke. However, he let the little one tug on his braids all the way up the stairs, complaining as he went. From here on in, laughter would be a precious commodity. The clan was soon settled. Skellig was almost at full capacity, with representatives of nearly every clan in residence. Clan moot made a lot of work for Skellig's usual inhabitants. The tribe had to gather here once every three years at the castle. Stories would be told, news swapped, arguments settled, taxes gathered, and of course a lot of ale consumed. It literally stripped the land of all but those who were needed to tend livestock or crops, and that was not too many in this season. Skellig had been built with this task in mind, and although not comfortable, it was bearable. Clan moots were usually a week of fun, looked forward to and anticipated. As Jerris and Connor walked about the castle, though, the expressions that they saw told them a different story. This clan moot was out of season. There wasn't meant to be one for another year at least, and winter had never been the time for it. Everyone was tense and afraid. Strange, eerie tales were told in the darkened corners of the castle in half-whispers. Things had begun to happen in outlying areas that could not be explained. Disappearances, voices in the wind, and mysterious attacks in the night. This was, of course, part of the reason Ashima had called for the moot. Information sharing was vital if they were to head off the weaver's invasion. But Jerris couldn't help but wonder as they passed through the unhappy mob if she had counted on the thinly-veiled hysteria that would accompany it, and the way stories grew with each telling. The arrival of the remains of Clan Dunleary would cause an even greater stir. Connor suggested a slightly more distant part of the castle might be better for them, but in that current situation it was impossible. By night the rumour would have spread, and not all of the outer islanders could be relied on to remain silent. The clan was settled in, most taking the opportunity to grab what sleep they could. Jerris and Connor left them, deciding to try and find Ashime. A strange brand of friendship had grown up between them, based partly on their care for her, and partly on their unusual status here. Jerris's very nature made it an oddity, and Connor's sitken tattoos, which he stubbornly refused to cover, made him few friends either. Perhaps Jerris caught some of its friend's obstinate nature, refusing to wear its usual cowl. Whatever it was, it brought them both troubles that they didn't need. A dark stairwell led up to the dawn room, or they hoped it did. Connor was just cracking a joke about Damon when a rough voice interrupted their laughter. 
And what on Mother's Earth are you two? A ragtag bunch of clansmen were gathered at the base of the stairs. In the flickering light of the torches set in the walls, Jerris immediately recognised their type. Hard-headed and angry at their situation, they would blame anything out of the ordinary. Their grim expressions and hotchpotch of armour told of difficult times, not likely to get any easier. Connor was in no mood to be convivial. Lately there had, in his opinion, been far too much diplomacy. His rash nature had been held in check for far longer than he was used to. He flashed them in a smile designed to grate on the nerves. Well, I didn't know Skellig was infested with vermin. I thought rats were supposed to leave a dying ship. The group growled and emerged out of the shadows. Six of them could now be counted, in varying shapes and heights, but all were just looking for an excuse to pound somebody's head. Jerris knew that it and Connor made likely targets. This was getting them nowhere productive. It placed a restraining hand on Connor's shoulder. I think we should get on, as she may may need us. The young Sitkin brushed it off. Already his muscles were tensing and his fists curling, ready for battle. Frustration lurked not far from the surface, seeking a release. But speaking at all proved a mistake. The leader of the group, whose lafe was so filthy it was impossible to tell his clan, said, Hear that? What sort of a thing is a voice like that? Let's take it apart and find out. His smaller, shifty-looking companion ventured, taking courage from the others at his back. Jerris couldn't really help it. Whenever threatened, its body naturally responded. Form shifted to his powerful male shape, muscles and bones sliding without thought. The little bunch of warriors, who before had been only looking for a bit of a scrap, suddenly became more than curious. It's one of them, the largest one said, hand already reaching for his blade. Like we heard, they are here. No boys, Connor found himself saying, stepping protectively in front of his friend, as the situation seemed to degenerate into more than fisticuffs. I didn't know what you think, but Jerris here has harmed no one. I'm sure when the mood happens, all will be explained. Now, why don't you just go about your business and we'll... Eyes were narrowed and the hiss of drawn steel was repeated around the corridor. The group spread out, blocking the stairs in the way back. We know all about you. The looming figure of the leader seemed to be bunching himself for a charge. Save your breath, sick can. You'll need it for screaming. His words told Connor what to expect, and so when the attack came, the far more nimble man moved aside. He was loath to draw weapons as they had. Enough blood would be spilled when the weavers arrived. Every warrior would be needed, even this lot. Swaying out of reach of the blade swipe, Connor swung a neat right, catching the wielder on the jaw with a blow that sent his eyes rolling back in his head. As he fell, though, two of his companions tackled Connor, pinning his arms to his side and dropping him on top of his felled enemy. The rank odour persuaded him to quickly get up, that and the barrage of blows that they rained down upon him. Luckily, they could hardly pull free far enough to use their blades. "'You stink as badly as your friend does here!' Connor clutched another about the neck and used his forehead to smash his opponent's nose in one short, brutal gesture. Working himself free in the ensuing mayhem, he turned to see how Jerris fared. Jerris had shoved his opponent's side with one hand and gave another a swift kick that sent him sprawling. When he came at him again with a wicked-looking knife, he hammered a blow to the wrist holding it. Weaver's strength gave it extra power, and the snap of bone-breaking was audible to all. The stunned rabble looked up at the two of them from their various positions on the floor. Jerris and Connor looked willing to give out more than punishment. The clansmen got the idea that it was probably not a good sign, and hurried as best they could to get out of their way. 
Well, Connor wiggled his jaw gently from side to side. That'll wake you up in the morning, all right? Jiris favoured him with a wry look. You really don't go out of your way to avoid trouble, do you? Seems to find me easily enough. Connor sighed and fell back against the wall. Maudlin was not his natural state, but his friend could feel it coming off him in thick waves. Something had changed between him and Ashime. Jerris had guessed that from the time on the ship. Tension had not been there before, but somewhere on the trip, Connor had lost his heart to the Scarlet Warrior. Jerris did not need any preternatural senses to tell him what sort of trouble that meant. You love her. Odd how the words almost stuck in his throat. Jerris tried to return to his normal state, but it eluded him. Things were beginning to change, and it had begun with Massey's observation at Dunleary. Female form felt more and more distant. The Sitcan was too wrapped in his own confusion to notice Jerris. He was blushing a bit in the half-light. He ran a hand round his own neck as if trying to ease some tension. No, I wouldn't say that love, I mean. It's just, uh, she's, you know, uh, he snorted, closing his eyes. It's a stupid thing to be thinking about at the moment. Jerris in that instant saw sharply into the other's heart. He was frightened, just as the rest of humanity was, of being alone. Times like these only brought heightened awareness of it. The need to be loved and cared for was a powerful one. If Ashima rejected him, there might not be any more time for her to change her mind. In such confusion, a good, decent, clean, hand-to-hand fight was beautiful in its very simplicity. Jerris wished he could offer some words of comfort, but what was there to say? Ashime was her own person with her own huge problems. The question was, did she have enough room in her world for either of them? For that was the second that Jerris realised he too shared Connor's concerns and desires. But whatever chance the Sitkin had, Jerris was sure it had even less. No, no, no! Ashima exploded. She shoved her hand through her hair in frustration and glared at Damon. In return, he looked mildly down the table at her. You have no choice. His grey eyes remained calm. The moot must proceed tomorrow. You don't know what you're saying. She began to prowl about the study, running an agitated hand over the priceless manuscripts and art that clothed the room. Not all the clans are here. It is unheard of for a moot to go ahead without every tribe in Crisfell being represented. My friends will be here soon. This is your own fault, Ashime, the elder replied. You would insist on a moot in the middle of winter. They cannot have made it through the pass in this season. You sent them to their deaths. I can't accept that, she murmured, though her heart tightened at the thought. They're too damn stubborn to give up. Even stubbornness will not get you through the Lister Pass in the depths of winter. He was prepared to try and comfort her, though. Don't you think I wanted them to succeed? Those are my people that they were trying to reach. They did their best for you, Ashimi. Most of the Scarlet Wolves are secure within Skellig. Do not think ill. Do not think ill of them. The tall window looked out to the north, and even as obscured as they were, Ashime knew the mountains waited. More than anyone, she understood how harsh and dangerous they could be. No forgiveness existed on their slope, nor any room for foolishness or bravery. She hated to admit it, but her friends sometimes had equal measures of both. 
the stirrings of power she recognised now as coming from the weavers. She fought to extend. Mirik, with his similar blood, might just hear her, or maybe she could sense him. Not knowing what to do, she strained her talent, what little there might be of it. But it was a muscle she'd only just discovered, and it would not be forced. Nothing came back, only the sound of her own pulse in her ears. Despite this, she refused to think of the possibilities. After all, Solistra was with them. Hopefully she had enough common sense for all of them. Ashy me. Damon was at her shoulder. We cannot afford to wait for something that cannot be. If what you and your grandfather have told me is true, there is no time to waste on this foolishness. He's testing me. Her blood roared in rage. Its current swept her up unpredictably. She was caught with all her defences down. The form of the room blurred. The white light was threatening to invade her. For what seemed like an eternity, she swayed to its call. Then just as suddenly it stopped, leaving her shaken and afraid. Damon, though, had no inkling that he had stood so close to the raw furnace of her bane. Gulping down the remnants of it, Ashimay turned on him. Do not think to question me, Lord Damon. I rule here. He met her blaze with a thoughtful look. By what right, may I ask? His gaze took on her unchanged abdomen. There was little doubt of his meaning. Why hadn't she listened to Jerris? Fever had gripped her brain, making her say things she now regretted. I... I lost the baby while at sea, if, if you must know Damon. What would you have me do about it? She forced a note of challenge into her voice. His brows knitted together. He paced away from her, hands clenched behind his back. Damon was not a lord known for stepping into a situation rashly. And the duke? He finally asked, his broad back to her. What of him? Taking one long, slow, deep breath, she replied, Dead. That or taken by the weavers. Her earlier explanation of them, she was sure, answered the rest. You have been rash and foolish, Damon rumbled finally. No doubting that. But then that is the prerogative of the young. With the duke gone... There is none among the chiefs that we could all agree on to follow. I myself could take up the mantle of high chief. She held her breath. But then the others would probably rise against that. Some have already voiced their concerns. Perhaps you have saved Crisfell, as she may. But you have also taken up a fearsome responsibility. I know, she whispered. The moot must begin tomorrow, as she may. No more waiting or we'll have a riot on our hands. Damon took her by both shoulders, locking his gaze with hers. They were eye to eye. Say nothing of the baby. These next few weeks are critical, and I have the feeling that there will be other things to occupy the chief's minds. Be strong. Be firm. Be the leader that they need. I will try. No trying, child. His fingers tightened on her, crushing skin and flesh. Crisfell is in your hands, and mother save us all if you fail to hold them to the purpose. Think of that when you stand before them tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvall. A-N-T-I-N-E dot net. 
On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast is supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.